Welcome back to the Y Hockey Periodical Podcast, a special part two edition of the Bill Zito Talk. You heard what we thought last week, but why listen to us when we can have smarter people talk about Bill Zito? Later on the show, we'll have George Richards talking about this more from the Panthers' perspective, but let's get to talk to somebody who knows Bill Zito from his time in Columbus very well, one of our friends at Y Hockey, Allison Lucan of The Athletic. Hello, Allison. Good to talk to you again. Well, thank you for the kind introduction. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. I remember when we talked about uh, Sergei Bobrovsky in the before times. That was very weird. It was also seven months ago, which is weirder. Uh, but we also, I remember, at that time talked about how injured the Blue Jackets were, which was uh, something that has become more prescient now when we talk about Bill Zito because the organization the Blue Jackets have built is pretty impressive. So I want to start with talking about your general thoughts about Bill Zito, having gotten to know him and gotten to cover his work uh, through these last couple of years. So what's your, the biggest takeaway that you got from, from covering Bill Zito and his work for these last few years? Yeah, it's such a big question, right? Particularly because of, as we know, front offices are often just the sum of their parts, um, which is really cool. And I think that is, he worked with such an incredibly talented team with Yarmo Kekalainen, Josh Flynn, John Davidson, um, and others they brought in through the years and really was able to leave his stamp on things. I think what, what I will remember the more I reflect on, on his time in Columbus is just how important, particularly this last season, as you talk about his ability to help with the other members of the front office, identify talent even before this season. And I'm speaking specifically about free agent signings um, and even AHL talent that was brought into the organization in Cleveland that was ready primed and prepared to seamlessly step in with this group when the injuries hit them like no other. Um, And I think that that speaks to a deep understanding of what an organization is trying to do and a deep understanding of the talent that it takes to play that way and also accomplish success and not just execute, but execute successfully. So when I think about um, Bill Vito, that's a big piece of, of what he did with Columbus that will remain in my memory. It's so funny when you think, not just about the injuries to all these players. Okay, the Blue Jackets were playing the, as the Cleveland Monsters by midway through the season, basically by February, because <laughs> the entire team was hurt. And they were still winning games, right. which shows you a lot. But I think the other thing that comes back, and we almost forget about trading for Matt Duchesne, trading for all these players, and then losing them, and then not really missing a beat. Because most teams can't you know, afford to trade for Matt Duchesne, give up prospects, then have that player walk and then not really miss a beat. And the Blue Jackets really didn't because they had the depth in their system to play guys like Kevin Stenland. Who the hell is Kevin Stenland? Nobody knows. But he ends up playing a role. Or Emil Benstrom, just people like that. They're random, they're random people. Or as a hockey Twitter joke goes, uh, Mark Donk and Buzz Flivitt. And they end up still basically being a playoff team with all of that happening. And, and I think that's a testament to how strong an organization they built. And as we said before, it's not necessarily about whether your AHL team wins games all the time, it's about are these players ready to be in the NHL lineup if they're called upon? And the Blue Jackets did that better than almost anybody else in the last couple of years. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's exactly what we saw. And it's, it's always fun to see the rest of hockey, if you will, discover players that aren't as widely known. And, you know, players like Emil Bemstrom and, and Stenland as well, these were guys that were – on the cusp and kind of curious question marks uh, for Blue Jackets fans who've been following them since their draft days. And, you know, as you said, to not just develop them in the AHL, which Bill Zito had managed up until last year when obviously um, his personal situation insisted and rightly so that he he have a little more time for his family. Um, he was preparing these players 
to jump right up to the next level. And as I said, then also working with the NHL organization and the coaching staff there to ensure that when those players came up, they weren't just physically ready and skill ready. They were systematically ready and they were able to come right in with an attitude focused on winning a confidence in winning, which is a big thing for a torts coach team and, and be an important part of the puzzle, not just, you know, take a couple minutes here and there to take minutes off the, the remaining healthy guys, but to really contribute. Um, and yes, I think that's a huge statement on, on what the entire organization built really. And it's the exact opposite of the Panthers who were largely healthy and had their <laughs> top end players, you know, do what they do, but they had no depth. And so when you see the difference between these two teams, even though they ended up in the same place, I'm pretty sure if you're going to do a blind test, and pick which organizational path you want. I'd rather the team with all the depth, even though all their players got hurt, than one that was extremely healthy and still didn't live up to what they should have been because they didn't have that depth. And I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> much going to think that a lot of people are going to go with option A, which was the Columbus path. <laughs> yeah, probably true. And that, that's why I think it's going to be so interesting to watch um, the evolution of the Florida organization. This, it's a team that... You know, I, I've watched um, not as closely as you, of course, um, but have watched for a while just to see how they've evolved with the changes and, you know, market challenges and things like that. And to have Bill Zito come in, someone who's watched an, another organization, Columbus, deal with not necessarily the same challenges, but big challenges um, and find paths to success. I'm so fascinated and so honestly excited to see how he addresses the needs in Florida, how he builds up that culture, how he deepens that pipeline, as you just discussed. There's, there's so many interesting ways that he's going to be able to make a mark um, in this organization. Well, it's not that the Panthers and the Blue Jackets are entirely comparable, but they're close. You know, people aren't necessarily yeah. picking as their number one choice going to Columbus, and that's no offense to Columbus. Right. It's just it's, it's no, not for going sure. to Florida sure. either, even though Florida's got beaches and no taxes. But it, it's an organization that you have to build in a certain way because you're not going to be Toronto signing John Tavares to contracts where you're giving him 80 million bucks up front. You have to do it in a different way. And that brings Bill Zito into the fold with kind of his specialties and also makes it so fascinating that he had been interviewed for all these jobs and for some reason never got them. And I, we're not in these interviews, so we don't know. And then this being the one he finally got in this time of all times is, is fascinating. So what, what, what do you think? made it so perfect for Bill Zito to get this job as opposed to New Jersey or Buffalo or any of the other jobs that he interviewed for. Yeah. And, you know, Bill has said himself that, you know, and I'm sure we've all experienced this in, in what all each of us are pursuing professionally is that sometimes an interview is just a feeling out process. Sometimes it's serious. Um, and, and I think particularly when there's only 32, arguably, of, of one job in the world, um, it, it's going to be really hard to, to seat that. I think he went through that process of learning of understanding, of discovering. Sometimes you're just part of, of the, the cadre of interview candidates that come through because your name is on a list. And then I think too, you know, again, there was, there was some personal work, um, family issues, health issues that Bill Vito rightly put as the priority um, over the past, gosh, I guess it's now 18 months or so. And that takes, that takes you off of that list rightly because his priority was with his family and his wife and her health. So that, you know, slowed down, I think, the, the urgency with which an organization really could bring him in because he wasn't in that place. Um, so now, you know, his, his family is in a healthy place. He's grown. He's experienced so much. And I think 
so many people in hockey are, of course, competitive, but Bill Zito is, is the consummate competitor. And I think that he loves the challenge. And what better challenge than to help Florida get past some of their obstacles and get to a routinely successful organization? I don't think there's a bigger challenge in hockey than making a team that hasn't won a playoff series in a quarter century competitive. <laughs> maybe Arizona right now. Maybe Arizona. Maybe right the Coyotes. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, but they've won a playoff series, you know, it's technically true. this it's year, true. but also before that. I mean... But, I mean, like, th- that's a perennial – we've talked about this being a perennial losing organization, and you're bringing in somebody like that. Again, it's not like the Blue Jackets are winning the Stanley Cup, but I'd much rather be in their position than Florida's position. But the other thing about the Blue Jackets that's so fascinating is it's an organization that has a plan and sticks to it, and even if it goes against the conventional wisdom, like trading for Matt Duchesne when, you know, Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky are about to become free agents and just saying, why the hell not? I mean, no NHL team really did that before. And, I mean, they didn't go very far beyond the first round, but they still pulled off one of the most stunning upsets in recent playoff history. So it's a, still a success, and it's not like the organization's threadbare after that. Your colleague, Corey Pronman, did the organizational rankings, and even though the Blue Jackets haven't had first-round picks in two of the last three drafts, they still had a better pipeline than the Panthers did. Yeah, it was. I was honestly a little surprised um, at how high they had. Uh, he had them. And, you know, I think all of these things are a grain of salt. And, you know, the, the, the hidden sneaky truth in, in Cronman's rankings is that a lot of those players that were at the high end of his rankings were already in the NHL. <laughs> so you've got Pierre-Luc Dubois, you've got Alexander Texier, for example, um, leading the charge there. So I, I do think that the Blue Jackets do need to replenish their pipeline because they did lose a lot of those draft picks. But to your point, this was a plan. They were willing to take the risks, and they are willing to mitigate against those risks going forward. So, um, again, like I talk about, watching an organization say, here's the challenge, here's how we're going to tackle it, and to your point, stick to this plan and execute, um, it's a sign of, of strong leadership, in my opinion, even when the plan doesn't perform out perfectly every single time. Well, it's also funny because, again, diametric opposite of the Panthers, but it's also kind of how you have to be when you're the Columbus Blue Jackets in a division with powerhouses in the Metro division, right? Like, you got to try to do something a little bit different. They're not going to be able to do what the Rangers are going to do with all their money and being the Rangers or the Flyers or anybody like that. You know, that's and that different path is probably the right way to do it when you're in a division like that. And the other thing that's also interesting about the, the Blue Jackets that I've noticed is, again, you talked about Jared Bednar, who was his coach that won um, with the Cleveland Monsters at a Calder Cup, who is now, you know, obviously doing great things in Colorado, John Davidson, now Bill Zito. When you get a bunch of people from your organization that get plucked away to go to other jobs, it's a sign that people like what you're doing. So I can't think of a better, you know, vote of confidence, even though, I mean, in a backwards way, that you're doing a good thing and people are admiring around the sport what you're doing than seeing all these people leave and arguably have success. And, I mean, John Davidson going to the Rangers is not a surprise. Jared Bednar was going to get a head coaching job. We thought Bill Zito was going to get a GM job at some point. But they still have to get those jobs. And so I think that's a great stamp of approval for what the Blue Jackets have been building. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the flip side of that, um, it's the hugest compliment to have your people – if you will, be coveted for such huge leadership roles. And and many people forget actually how close to the start of the season Jared Bednar left the organization because it was, you know, the the last minute bait and switch with that very famous Colorado coach before him. Um, And and the Avalanche were in somewhat of a bind. Um, And, you know, there are there, there's a former blue jackets executive there now and Chris McFarland, who's in the front office. Um, 
it is a huge compliment as well that this front office and this organization always grants those requests to depart if the fit is right. Um, when you look at what Bednar did in leaving, and it was fully blessed by all sides, there's no ill will there at all. But to allow your AHL team to kind of have to scramble to find a new head coach literally weeks before the season starts and still say, we believe in what's best for you, go chase your success. That's a massive statement about what this organization is all about. Bill Zito, too, leaving now for Florida. Everyone who's gone on that you mentioned, for this organization to so freely, and people may, might know this, but just to reiterate, you know, an organization has to grant requests for another organization to talk to, to their front office people and their coaches and to always grant that request, to always give that access, to always give their people the opportunity to chase what's best for them says a whole lot about the organization as much as it says about the talent that they've had run through the front office. And as much as some people might not enjoy the way they play, I mean, when you think about what <laughs> they have become in terms of this kind of organization, it makes you kind of want to root for them, right? It's like they are likable, even if, you know, the coach is a bit gruff and yells at people and the style is a bit boring at times. You know, but it makes the Blue Jackets kind of likable. And it wasn't just the Twitter account. You know, it was the, it's that, that Columbus <laughs> thing that became a thing. And as like I said, nobody has ill will towards the Blue Jackets. And, and that says a lot, especially when you're winning <laughs> well, and you're doing what you're doing. Leafs fans now apparently have a bunch against the well, Blue yeah, Jackets but, and Pierre Luc Dubois. I mean, they do, but they couldn't beat them. I mean, like, did the Lightning right, have, like, right. the Lightning had ill will, but I think it was more towards their own team as opposed to, you know, the Blue Jackets. <laughs> Again, think about the fact that of who Columbus has beaten in these postseasons, like, these ultimate skilled teams. But I think Tampa's actually happy that that happened to them in a morbid way because look at what they're doing now. They're better because Columbus taught them, okay, you got to do certain things in order to win. You can't, and maybe, maybe the Leafs will learn, but maybe the Leafs will never learn. Who knows? The other thing I have to talk to you about, because you, you write about analytics and analytics things so well, like the Blue Jackets ran hockey analytics conferences. I remember seeing that they put stuff like that in the scoreboard during intermissions. And obviously, Bill Zito's not going to tip his hand as to all the things he's going to do with that, but that process is, is a part of his process for him. He's very forward thinking about that and forthright about that. And considering the history of the Florida Panthers, which I know you know about and has been <laughs> widely talked about in this podcast. It's still somehow being talked about Twitter four years later in the middle of a global pandemic, which makes no sense to me. Um, that, too, is one of the more impressive things that I think about him. Is he, he brings in everything. It's, for Bill Zito, from all that we learn about him, everything is all-encompassing. And every single bit of information he can have makes it better. And maybe that's because he was an agent before and he needs that. But also, I mean, it's going to make him a better executive because why would you willingly deny yourself multiple avenues of information? A hundred percent. And I agree. I think, and I think, you know, if we talk about that long and storied history of the Florida Panthers organization on this topic, I think that, that makes I'm Bill get in trouble really, if I do that. <laughs> I think that does make Bill a really nice candidate and, and choice for this front office because he does do exactly what you said. He doesn't just stick to one voice or one type of information. And, and I'm in that camp. I'm not in a just analytics camp or not any analytics camp, obviously. You need everything available to you. And I think that speaks to Bill's thought process. I think that speaks to his forward thinking, as you mentioned. And I think it's the right way to go is to say, show me as much as you can so that I can help answer this question or so that I can help evaluate this player or evaluate this coach or evaluate this prospect. 
And I think the fact that he respects analytics, he recognizes them as valuable. He will critique them just as he would a scouting report from one of his scouts. But at the end of the day, he will incorporate everything available to him to make the very best decision that he and his staff can make um, for the organization. But it's also putting it, you know, front facing, you know, because a lot of organizations use this stuff, but very few are going to be like, oh, we're going to run a hockey analytics conference, you know, and we're going <laughs> to put this to the front. I mean, the Panthers did it once, but it wasn't like they, you know, they did it like the Blue Jackets have done this multiple times. They're very forthright about that. And I think that that's also something, again, they're not tipping their hand as to what they're doing, but they're forthright about saying this is important to us. And also that culture starts from the top and it isn't like an adversarial relationship like we have seen at times with this stuff. But the fact is, I mean, like nobody wants like for Bill Zito, it's like he's not going to tip his hand. You know, the Avalanche are one of the most progressive organizations when it comes to this. And they're not tipping their hand. Neither is Toronto. It's just you know that it's part of the process. But it's not like they're telling you what that is or saying, you know, we have figured this out. We have solved hockey. You know, no one's could solve hockey. It's a weird sport and a weird league and weirder times. But I think that's also part of it, because when you look at the evidence is there, like they, they have found the players, they've developed the players, and they put people into positions to succeed. And the other way you know about that is with the goaltending, right? Because that, I mean, doesn't that even <laughs> look even more surprising now? Like, what a great position to be in, in a league where everybody's looking for goaltending. The Blue Jackets can replenish, do basically whatever they want now, because not only do they have Corpusalo and... Um, Leakins, they have guys that behind them that they probably like and be like, you know what? We can afford to do that. And how much better yeah. does that make your organization when now you can trade for, say, we need more scoring. Let's trade this goaltender and suddenly you can make a deal happen. You always have multiple options. That's the other thing about the Blue Jackets that I think is amazing. They always have something that they can do that can make them better, even, you know, and it's not going to cost them immediately. It is not all or nothing in that way, right? Absolutely. You know, and I think that um, part of it, too, and I'm not saying that I, it, this is a compliment to me, but part of how we know what an organization is doing is, is when you have people in the media asking them about analytics. And I think, you know, unfortunately for Florida, we've we've only seen kind of the the death knell play out when it when everything reached kind of crisis moment. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much the media pushes on on the marriage of analytics and uh, traditional hockey knowledge, if you will, going forward. But I think that um, the way that these Blue Jackets are built, and as you mentioned, particularly goaltending, because people forget too, analytics and thinking critically and thinking with data isn't just about what the players do on the ice. It's about what does your roster construction need to look like? What are you going to do with the cap? What are you going to do with contracts? And contracts is a huge piece of what Bill Zito did for Columbus. And so I think that understanding that application going forward, because we saw it succeed, as you just outlined in Columbus, that could be huge for, for the Panthers too, particularly, and this is not a dig, but when you have a goaltender with a very big contract, you have to be smart and creative with your money in a flat cap era with this pandemic going on. So I think that that too massive skill advantage that Bill Zito brings that not every GM might necessarily be primed to do just given what Bill's experience is. Well, it also comes in for me is like they drafted a goalie 13th overall last year, which nobody does. And now that's something that Bill Zito has to think about. And as I said on the last show, I am now 5% more confident that Spencer Knight's going to go on a track that is beneficial to him. And I'm right. a little less worried about his development knowing what I saw in Columbus where they right. lose Sergei Bobrovsky and two guys come in and everything is, and, and it's honestly no different. And again, some yeah. of it could be system, who knows. But 
that that too again it's it's that idea that with Bill Zito and his track record, I'm a little bit more confident, even though it's the Panthers, and you can never have full confidence in an organization that hasn't proven it. It's just the, it's the truth. So I'll, I'll get you out of here on this, and of course, thank you for coming on, as always. So what do you think Columbus is going to miss most now that Bill Zito's not there anymore? Because they, they find a way to plug and play guys. Rick Nash is going to have more of a role, which is great to see, because of course, the history with Rick Nash and the Blue Jackets is always fascinating to look back on. But now that they've lost him, they've lost John Davidson, they've lost some of these key voices in the front office, you know, what is it that you think the Blue Jackets are going to miss the most now that he's on a competing team in a similar spot to where the Blue Jackets are? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that the one reason this timing benefits the Blue Jackets is that because this hockey calendar that we're living in right now is so different than anything we've seen, the organization has had a lot of time to dot their I's, cross their T's going into, for example, this year's draft, free agency. So they, as is every organization right now, in my opinion, they don't need to scramble to get ready as a team might have to in a traditional year where it's just next, 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 what's next, and you're rushing to keep up. So I think they've had time to prepare, and I think now they're going to have time to really critically look and say, Who's going to take over this piece of work? Who's going to take over this piece of work? Do we have things that still need to be covered? We already know that Josh Flynn is going to start taking on more of the contract work. I think Yarmo will continue to be aware of that and present, obviously. Um, but right now, I think because of the time and the way this schedule looks like it's going to be laid out, they're going to be okay. And I think that what we might see is a season with just this team and then probably an intentional strategic hire, um, be it a couple lower people in hockey ops, or maybe it is another assistant GM type hire a year from now, once this group has kind of found their footing and said, Oh, now we still see there's this hole or that hole still left, but they'll surely miss um, Bill Zito's contract negotiation skills. They'll surely miss his contributions from a talent evaluation perspective. And of course his network within the hockey community, having been a player agent, um, that was a huge piece of the puzzle for him. And I think those pieces will be missed. Columbus will be able to recover, um, but they will be missed for sure. It's also funny how he leaves one Kekalainen to go to the other. I know. I know. It is true. You know, well, at least he'll have some familiarity, right? He'll know how to say and spell the name properly. Well, it's good because, you know, we've talked about Yari Kekalainen on this show being responsible for a lot of good things the Panthers have done. And I was worried, like, okay, what's going to happen with him? Because I really like his work. And now, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere now that he's working with his brother. I guess you can work with the other one. Uh, thank you again, Allison. A uh, reminder, of course, if people haven't followed you, they should. Where can people follow your work? Yes, well, thank you, of course, always. It's great to talk. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Allison L, A-L-I-S-O-N-L. And uh, anything I'm doing, anything I'm talking about writing, whatever, um, you'll find it there. It all goes through the Twitter feed. And too much man, of course. Uh, yeah. Yes, Too Many Men, our wonderful podcast with uh, Shana Goldman and Sarah Sibian. Um, if you want irreverent uh, women talking about hockey and all those things, please check it out. We have a lot of fun there. Who, who doesn't want that? I've listened to this show before, <laughs> and it's fantastic. So I, you should definitely. <laughs> Thank you, Allison, again for coming on. And, of course, coming up after you hear our funny music again, George Richards. And now for part two on our discussion on Bill Zito. Let's get somebody on who knows the Florida Panthers. and knows Bill Zito pretty well, actually. It's kind of convenient. George Richards comes from Columbus back to Florida, and now Sergei Bobrovsky and Bill Zito follow him. Isn't that funny, George? <laughs> okay, so they 
crazy how life works out sometimes, for sure. I mean, it's really convenient for you because you already have a built-in relationship with them. You don't have to do the extra legwork. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, it, it was weird. You know, I got I covered the, the Blue Jackets for one year and, and came back to Florida. And I'll tell you what, I got to know Bill Zito, um, you know, that during that year covering the Blue Jackets. But, but probably better after I left, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit more and I'd run into him in places. And uh, listen, you know, when, when, when Dale, you know, when word got out that Dale Town was out, uh, I believe that was back on August 10th. Uh, Bill was a guy I thought of. I mean, he was a guy that had interviewed a lot of places. You just knew he was going to be a GM somewhere. Uh, very smart guy, uh, very tied into, uh, you know, everybody in hockey knows Bill. And uh, it just seemed like a matter of time before he got his own team. So, you know, for, for you know, obviously he, you know, he had good interviews with the Panthers and, you know, spelled out his plan. Uh, to the ownership and the management of the Panthers, and uh, now he's the general manager. So we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. I mentioned him here because it was the only name I could think of off the top of my head when I was doing that show, and it turned out, hey, sometimes a blind squirrel finds a nut, and random predictions sometimes work out. So what was the biggest takeaway from uh, your relationship with Bill Zito before knowing he was the GM in Florida? Uh, you know, just that... You know, look. You look at the Columbus Blue Jackets, and he was Yarmo Kekalainen's right hand man. Uh, you look at the success Columbus has had uh, in that market and how they've built up that team. Um, I, I just think that, you know, looking back at what Columbus did this year, it, it, you know, was was quite impressive. I know they got you know knocked out in the first round by Tampa Bay, but you look at their regular season and, and going into this year. Um, I don't think a whole lot of people picked Columbus as a playoff team. And, and you know, they lose their three top three agents, uh, Bob uh, Panarin and uh, Matt Deshane. Um, you know, so you're like, oh, man, the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, you know, they're done. You know, they're, they're, they're in trouble. And then they lose half their team to injury <laughs> on top of that. So they're just plugging, plugging AHL guys in left and right. And lo and behold, here they are, you know, a playoff team. And they were one of the, you know, when we, when the season ended, they, they were holding a playoff spot. And I think, you know, the Panthers maybe looked at Columbus, you know, here's Florida, uh, a cap strap team. They're right up against the cap. They made all these huge offseason moves, including bringing in Joel Quinville. And in February, they can't win a home game. You know, they they just fall flat on their face coming out of the all-star break. And I think, and then you look over at Columbus with all the obstacles that they had to go through, they were able to use their own their own homegrown players to, 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 to fix themselves. And I think, you know, thinking back on that, maybe that's what Florida wants. You know, they, they need their own guys to kind of help them along. And, and they just haven't had that for the most part. Um, you know, you look at the top players on the Panthers, uh, they're mostly free agents. Their top guys, yeah, they're, you know, Barkov, Huberdeau, and Ekblad. Those were all top three picks in the NHL draft. And after that, you know, there just hasn't been that much development within the organization. And then, you know, Bill Zito and, and the Columbus Blue Jackets absolutely found success doing that. It's so funny how when you look at what everyone was saying about this hunt and the Panthers, like, we need to develop our own players, that was the key, which you're right. They had been doing almost none of that 
in the last couple of years. It's been really stark. I think Elliot Friedman mentioned on one of his uh, broadcasts or on 31 Thoughts, like there's almost no players that the Panthers were getting big contributions on on entry-level deals, maybe other than Riley Stillman, but he's a bottom-pairing defenseman. So, like, it makes sense when you look back on everything, like, okay, it made sense that this was going in this direction, but the search was so broad, and we talked about it, there were at least 15 to 20 names. You kind of didn't really have a sense of what they were looking for until you look at who they hire and you go, okay, now it makes sense. It just didn't look like it from the outside when the search was going on. Listen, there were so many names being floated. And I I don't think that came, I think the Panthers were pretty uh, tight lipped about things, especially when you, when you know who did the interviewing, it was Matt Caldwell. um, It was John Viola. And and then Vinny got in. So they're not really talking to anybody outside the organization. So, you know, we're hearing names coming out and, and, and it was just hearsay and rumors. And we had heard a lot of different things. You know, I heard, you know, Shirelli uh, from people in Toronto that were in the bubble that were like, listen, man, he's getting a lot of, a lot of talk right now. A lot of people are talking that, you know, Shirelli might be the guy. In you Florida gave a lot of people on Twitter try to scare there, GR, when you mentioned I, well, that. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, I, I was hearing it from three, four different people. And, you know, that was what on a, I think that was on a Saturday. And I heard, I heard it like on Thursday, Friday, and then somebody threw, well, Shirelli is, you know, a finalist in Florida. And I basically just confirmed that. So, um, on Twitter. So, um, yeah. So, and then I talked to Matt Caldwell, you know, a couple of days later and, you know, he basically was like, listen, we, we, you know, and this was, you know, not long after, you know, they talked about Kevin Leeds and Eddie Olchek. And he was like, listen, we just we need somebody with some experience. And it sounded like it wasn't going to be one of the former general managers. It was going to be one of the, the guys that was working as an assistant general manager. So then we're like, okay, so there's three or four of those guys. <laughs> and then and, and there you go, it's Bill Zito. So um, it was just, yeah, I mean, you talk about a wide net. I mean, the Panthers, and in this time of COVID, you know, with everything being done on Zoom, um, that's probably the right way to do it. You, he was able to interview two dozen people without flying all over the country to do it. So, um, you know, it, it worked out for the Panthers that they were able to talk to a lot of people, get a lot of ideas, hear what a lot of people had to say, and, uh, you know, formulate their plan from there. It's just, it's fascinating when you look back on it. Like, yours was the first piece that mentioned Bill Zito by name. I was wondering, like, okay. I figured they were going to interview him, but we didn't see that name come out. And then 30 minutes after your piece is posted, right. then the news comes out that he's being hired. So it was a, it's a funny search when you look back on it. And part of me suspects, and I don't know if you know this or, or not or true, but part of me thinks like maybe Bill Zito was their guy and everything else kind of felt like a smokescreen. But I don't know. There weren't like many other teams doing GM search. The only one was Arizona and they were playing for most of it. So I don't know. That That was my thought after the fact, but... The fact of the matter is he's now hired, and he has an interesting task with this bizarre offseason that we're going to well, have. Well, here, well, real quick, real quick, just to go real quick, just to go through the timeline, they didn't talk to Bill Zito until after Columbus was knocked out of the playoffs. So they had already talked to 10, 12 people, you know, in that first week, first week to 10 days after being knocked out of Toronto. So Bill Zito would have been in the second wave of those interviews. So I don't know if he was the pick from, from the beginning, but he definitely worked his way into the conversation. And it's good that he did, because I, I really like this hire. We've talked about it here before. And yeah. from all the things we've done, you can tell that we're fans of it. But now he has to go and put the work in, because as we said, this is a bizarro offseason with the draft in October. We might not be playing hockey until mid-January. 
Uh, it's a, such a weird offseason, but for the Panthers, it's also a weird time because they're not an organization that's like Ottawa or Detroit or somebody that's starting from the ground up. But obviously, when you're stuck at like 86 points every single year, you're not where you want to be. So I get the question for you is, and, and I, when I was reading what Matt Caldwell was saying about being a cap team, my interpretation of that is Bill Zito hasn't exactly said what he thinks we need to do yet, so I don't know whether we're going to have to spend to the cap or not. I'm sure the Panthers would probably like to not do that considering the world we're in right now. So what do you think the direction looks like? Because it doesn't look like they're going to be training away Barkoff, Huberto, Ekblad players like that anytime soon. But making big moves this offseason could be tricky considering the circumstances. So where do you perceive the Panthers to be heading now that they have a new GM? Well, I, you know, no, this is not a rebuild. I mean, the Panthers feel like that they're right on the doorstep. I mean, you don't spend the money that the Panthers spent a year ago, um, not only for all the players they brought in, because everybody likes to put the spotlight on Sergei Bobrovsky and his $10 million a year, but they added $25 million in salary on, on July 1 last year. Um, they spent a lot of money, and then you throw in, well, you know, uh, Joel Quinville's making like $6 million. So they, they spend a ton of money. So you don't go from that to starting over. And then I don't think they need to. The Panthers are close. I mean, they've got – you look at the Panthers on paper. Um, we don't know what they're going to do in free agency with their own guys or what they're going to do. We don't know what they're going to do trade-wise. And we sure don't know what this market is going to look like because I don't think anybody knows what this market's going to look like. You've got the flat cap. You've got teams that haven't been making any money, um, that have been bleeding money, basically, um, because it's not just hockey revenue, it's arena revenue. A lot of these teams control the arenas. They haven't had concerts. They're still paying their employees. So there's been a, a huge financial drain uh, on a lot of teams. And, and now here we come to free agency and everything. And um, you're going to have teams that, that were expecting the cap to be 84, 85 million, and it's right where it is, now, where, it, where it's been. So you're going to have some teams that are going to have to make some cuts just to come, you know, to hit the cap. Um, you're going to have free agents out there um, that thought that this was going to be their, you know, their their chance to cash in, and and I don't know if the market's going to be there now. That now there are going to be certain free agents, I believe, that are going to be able to get their payday and. Unfortunately for the Panthers, Mike Hoffman is probably one of those guys. I mean, you look at his production, Mike, you know, Mike Hoffman's probably going to get paid, and that probably prices him out of the Panthers, but we'll, we'll see. Um, it, it's going to be an odd offseason, man. We've got a, you know, less than a month till the draft, and then free agency's going to start. So it's going to be very interesting to see what teams do. Um, uh, the, the Panthers you know, are going to be in, uh, you know, one of those teams that you just don't know what they're going to do because let's not forget they also have like four four and a half million dollars in dead money retained money Roberto Luongo money um so their salary cap is really you know like 77 million so you know if they spend 74 75 million for them they're a cap team it's interesting when I look at what they could do, because some of the money, you're not going to get rid of Bobrovsky. That's impossible. You're not going to get rid of some of the deals. But in terms of some of the other moves that I've been thinking about, I don't think they bring back Hoffman, particularly because they at some point want Owen Tippett to play, and Owen Tippett is kind of a de facto replacement. We think Denisenko is probably going to make this team next year. It certainly looks like it. He's in Florida right now. So that alleviates some of the mm -hmm. cap issues. But to me, the two issues that, that are really strongly 
worrying me right now. And they need to solve if they want to be a playoff contender. They need a second center, which they don't have. And they need to find a way to get a top left-hand shot D. Those have been problems for a couple of years. And there are none of them in free agency you're going to get. So it's going to have to be a trade. And with the way the D is uh, set up, you're not going to – you can't trade Yandel. You're not trading Ekblad. I I, will focus first on, I guess, just where – I I think that most of their moves are going to have to come via trade. And that means they're going to have to put things out. So – it's complicated, just not because of just the COVID situation, but the free agent market's not there in the places where Florida needs to be addressing key areas. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what trades are made because, again, you're going to have teams that need to make some moves to get to the cap or, or get down to the cap because, they were, again, they're expecting a higher number than it's going to be. Um, you know, listen, you know, uh, and that's the one thing I think that was smart with the Panthers and bringing in someone who has been working in a front office. I am sure that Bill Zito and Yarmo Kekalainen were looking at the trade, you know, well, what could we do here in Columbus? And now he's just got to figure out what he's got in Florida, you know, and see, you know, where, where can we move some things? Um, you know, and like Matt Caldwell said, you know, bringing in a new general manager brings in some fresh eyes. Maybe you're, you know, you've got a guy that's maybe not, or not at all, you know, emotionally tied down to, to making moves. I mean, you know, Dale Talon, for the most part, drafted or signed all these guys, and you know, he was he wasn't afraid to make moves. But you could tell you could tell sometimes he was hesitant hesitant to make some moves. Um, over, you know, you know, Vincent Trocheck. I mean, it, it hurt Dale to, to trade a guy like Vinny Trocheck, a guy that you know he you know he drafted and, and the Panthers developed and and all that kind of thing. And, and those are handcuffs that, you know, Bill Vito doesn't have. He didn't draft any of these guys. He didn't develop any of these guys. He didn't sign any of these guys, but he knows what their value is. He knows what, you know, as an opposing team would look at those kind of players. And then maybe he can make some moves. I think the Panthers are going to be active on the trade market. I think you're right. And it's who is going to be, you know, what centers are they going to be able to bring in? We don't know because, it's going to be somebody you probably didn't even think of, you know, somebody from they're going to make a deal with Calgary or something. We, we don't know where they're going to get it, but you know, they've got a couple of weeks to figure it out. I think they're going to be active at the draft. Maybe they don't use the draft pick. Maybe they do. I don't know. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think part of what I'm coming to believe now is that they're going to try to do a rebuild on the fly. You know, trying to rebuild the the farm yeah. system, obviously, bring in young players while trying to win over the top. And as I said, it's it's hard to try to you know be Ottawa or Detroit when you have Barkov, Huberto, Ekblad, and Bobrovsky, and none of those players are going anywhere at this point. So it really seems like they're going to try to rebuild on the fly, and that's going to be tricky. But it's not they're not asset poor, but they're obviously not where they need to be, especially in a time where you're going to need entry level contracts that are really critical because we're not all that far away from Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberto needing raises. And those are very, very important contracts to the future of this organization. And that's why the development seems to be even more critical to the Panthers than it's been even before. Yeah, for sure. And I, and listen, I mean, this team wasn't that far off. I mean, um, you look at the way they played in February, that, 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 that clouds the entire season and as well it should because you are what you are right you are what your record says you are but this season ended with 13 games left and they were three points out of third place in the Atlantic I mean they were 
you know, and when when the when they went into the All Star break, they were firmly entrenched in the playoffs. I mean, they they were one of the feel good stories in the NHL. It looked like the Panthers had finally, you know, lived up to expectations a little bit. Nobody nobody thought what happened you know, starting February one was going to happen. In fact, you know, some front office people were joking. They were like, yeah, we've got, I I don't even remember the number 30 games left. You know, all we've got to do is go 16 and 14 and we're in the playoffs. I don't think the Panthers should be ever joking about anything like that, considering their history. considering some of the things I've seen. Right. No, no, right. Exactly. But you were like, yeah, there's no way this team's going to go 16 to 14. So now they're just going to, you know, keep playing, kind of playing. Even if they hit a little bit of a lull, they're going to be okay. But nobody saw that kind of a lull. I mean, they were horrific in February. So um, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe there's some, you know, some new blood going to come in, maybe some change. I don't know. I mean, we're going to find out, but they're not that far off. Um, this is, yeah, this is not. Detroit or Ottawa, you know, even though Ottawa, Ottawa was improved this year. Um, but yeah, they're not, they're not the bottom of the barrel. They weren't that far off and we'll just, you know, have to see what kind of moves they make to, 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 to build around what they've already got. It's going to be fascinating. I think to see what Bill Zito terms to be the biggest issue with this team. Cause I said the two things that I think just looking for the outside or the two biggest issues with this team uh, from talking to him, does he have a sense yet of what he thinks the biggest need is for this team, or is it still something he's kind of diagnosing? Well, if he has, he hasn't, he hasn't said it yet. I know he wants to, he wants to add some, some center depth. I know they're looking at the defense and seeing what they can do there. Um, and obviously, you know, they want to restock the system and add some organizational depth, but you know, how he goes about it. Um, you know, he's not going to tell anybody right now. Why would you? I mean, I mean you, you're going into the, into the trade season, um, and you want to keep things close to the vest. So, um, again, this is his first crack at being a general manager. So it's not even like he has a track record um, that we can look back on and say, "Oh yeah, yeah, Bill Zito did this, this, and this." And no, well, technically, Yarmo did all that in Columbus. So. Um, this is his first crack at, at running a team, and we're going to see how he builds it. One of the most interesting moves, as we'll start to wrap this up, is Mike Matheson. He is a player that I know you were talking about the Panthers saying, starting to sour on him. That contract, it's not great. It's going to be really hard to move, even more so considering the circumstances. They also have the Anton Strallman deal, which is going to, again, be tricky to move. In order to get that D that they need in, they're going to have to move presumably one of those two out. And... I don't know what you think, but I cannot imagine the Panthers are going to go into next season with both of them here. I, I just can't see that, just not just for cap reasons, but because the D has to take a step forward. And those two both didn't have pretty amazing seasons. In fact, Matheson had a pretty rough year. So of the two, who do you think is most likely to move? Matheson's younger, he has a longer contract, but more upside in Strawman. I mean, moving that would be a definitive cap dump, and that's going to be hard to pull off in a situation like we're in. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I I really don't know because yeah, like you said, both both make a lot of money. I think they're but between them probably what about ten million dollars something like that. A little that. more than ten, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So so with those and and then you've got the term on Mike Matheson. I don't think because of Mike Matheson's age, um, but the term on the contract is, is problematic because he's only you know in year two of that eight year deal. Um, 
you know, a deal that the, you know, the, the Panthers thought was a pretty smart move when they did it. You know, uh, Mike Matheson looked pretty good when they signed him to it. Um, you thought you were buying up, what, four or five years of UFA from him. So, um, and, and again, you know, Mike Matheson has plenty of skill. Um, he's a very smart hockey player, sometimes gets in his own way. And, and you, you know, you've seen enough games to, to, to know you, you just you can just see when Mike Matheson's going to have a bad game. Um, Which is sadly far too you, often you, you, at this you, point. You just see it roll out there. What's that? It's, it's a little too often at this point, and the playoffs were a microcosm of that. And it was, it was. Yeah, but I thought this. I thought this year he was a lot better than he was last year. I, I, I there were, there were times where, where Joel Quinville put him on the bench. Um, I believe that was in February. Uh, I'm not what even was the really, game he played at forward? Right? He, he played it forward in yeah, one game. Well, yeah, and I don't really think you want a four point eight seven five million dollar game. I think he had a goal in two assists. Well, Mark Pesic had a good game playing as a, as, a, as a forward too. He ended up playing as a forward the rest of the season. It's just kind of odd. Yeah. You think about like that was the way that they got them playing better by playing them as forwards, and it's because they just really didn't have anything else to do, and the depth wasn't there. But yeah, it, that's a tricky contract move. And I'll get you out of here on this, of course. Thank you, of course, George, for coming on. Mm-hmm. You've been doing a lot of yeah. these in the last couple of days with the uh, the hiring announced. I think in terms of the free agents that they're going to bring, I only think Dadenoff comes back of the UFAs, and they obviously are going to re-sign Mackenzie Weger. I think the rest of it is is going to leave because just for pure cap reasons, just to clean some some money off the books and to kind of free themselves from some some of these cap obligations to get younger players. And that's always what I thought was going to happen, but it seems more likely now, especially considering a new GM. So where do you with the Panthers free agents? As I said, I only think Dadnoff's the only one of the UFAs that comes back. What do you think? Um, I you know I again I I wrote something about this a couple of weeks ago. The, the you know the five the five free agents and I, I don't see Mike Hoffman coming back. Although I know Joel Quinville loves him. Maybe if the market's not there, but by then it'll be too late because you, you know, you probably already would have made moves of your own. Um, and, and that window closes pretty quickly. Um, Dadinov, you know, Dadinov's going to, you know, going to want to raise on what he made. And, and I think if you look at Dadinov's numbers, um, you know, you, you know, He's produced for this team. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I, I think things kind of soured in February. He just, you know, it, it, the points kind of dried up for him. I don't think he, I think he had one point in, in the uh, series against the Islanders. Um, so that's a big, you know, that's a big check to write out. We'll have to see. I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Hall comes back just because of the market and, you know, we do need centers. Um I don't know. It, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I think, you know, you know, there was Brian Boyle out there. You're not going to pay a whole lot for him. He was, he's, you know, a nice piece that they got. And he's a big part of that locker room. So, um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I, 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 if you could, if you told me that they were going to sign Hoffman, okay, I, I could see that yeah, you know, in, in special circumstances. If we think that Hoffman's really going to get paid, then no, he's, he's going to price himself out of here. Um, but if you can get him at a, you know just a little bit more, maybe short term, we'll see. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. So it, it, it it's going to be it's hard to predict right now who who comes back and who doesn't. I mean, if you tell me that all five aren't coming back, yeah, all right, I can see that too. So we'll just have to see. It's going to be a very interesting month plus. The draft's actually moved a couple of days earlier as we're recording this. So. Yeah. 
It's going to be a fascinating, and you've got a lot of work to do, George. You never thought you'd have to do this kind of work in September, but 2020 has uh, broken every single rule we ever thought about life and hockey. So thanks again well, for coming be, on, G. We'd be, starting, we'd be starting training camp this week, wouldn't we? Yeah, we, well, <laughs> in like a week or two, yeah. We'd be we'd starting be in training camp. camp right now. I'd... Also, i got to yeah. ask, because now that we know that the season's going to start in January, probably, like what, what's going to happen yeah. with the All-Star game? Because they were going to have it this year. 2022, they're going to the Olympics. You know the market's wanted one. We know that ownership's wanted one. Uh, I, I don't think, obviously, that's high on the list of priorities right now for the league, but w- what's the sense around? Because they were doing, they were playing in big stuff for the All-Star game, and now the pandemic's kind of thrown all that into the trash bin. Yeah, I mean, if the season starts in January, uh, you know, listen, they haven't canceled it yet, but, but there's no way that they're going to play it. I mean, they're just, unless you start the season with the all-star game and, and that's not going to happen. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't see an all-star game here. No, which, I think, I think that's, uh, push, push to the side or, or whatever, but yeah, I mean, they're not gonna have it. that's I supposed to be the last, the last, the last, yeah, yeah. And even then, you know, now you've got a list of uh, teams that want it. So I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see that we'll I think they'll end happens. up getting it again in the future, but who knows? It's kind of unfortunate because, as I said, I thought that they were going to plan some big stuff for it. It was going to be a big time for the for the market, at least. But thanks again, GR, for coming on. We're going to have you on again, notably in the future, with all the moves that are coming, I would imagine. Thanks again. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you.